Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. We are in the tail end of a series that we've been doing all summer long. Uh, called I Have a Friend Who Says, and in this series we've been looking at ways to how we can talk to people with differing views uh, than what we have uh, and talk to them with gentleness and respect. Uh, so I'm going to do just a quick summary of everything that we've covered all summer long, and we started uh, with, you know, talking to people who I have a friend who says God doesn't exist, and so in the very first part of the series we kind of looked at uh, the things that show the existence of God, and we said, here's a way that you can respond to a friend who says that. We say, most people don't try to prove God is real. They search for him and find him, and the question is, are you willing to seek him? And again, the, the object is to be able to have discussions with people with gentleness and respect, not to argue, not to debate, uh, not to, like, stand in front of the people who are slamming you on your Facebook because you're a Christian or whatever, but to be able to have discussions with people who really want to know, is there a God? Uh, and then we continued this and said, well, let's talk about the Bible. And so we said, you know, if you have a friend who says that the Bible is fake, it isn't real, it's all trumped up, there's, you know, nothing real in it, uh, then what we said is we looked at a lot of historical and archaeological evidence that shows that the Bible is real. And we said the Bible is full of truth, and true feelings and expressions documented in history. We, look at, we looked at some historical information. It's the written truth of real people living real life in the presence of a very real God. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Okay, yeah, that's kind of like our tagline. Uh, and then we said, what about the people who say, well, you know, science trumps the Bible. Has anyone talked to anyone who has that? Are you clapping because yes? Okay, science, there's a lot of people still chewing cookies. That is awesome. But I, I'm going to pause for a minute and say there's a lot of cookies. So don't feel like you can't get up and go get more. Make multiple trips because there's a lot of cookies, all right? Uh, but we said the people who said that science trumps the Bible and, you know, the people that say the universe was created by a Big Bang and this, that, and the other. Uh, and we looked at some of that information and we said, well, s scientific facts complement the Bible. There's not one single scientific discovery, fact that contradicts anything in the Bible, and there is not one single word in the Bible that contradicts any scientific fact, not one. So we said scientific facts complement the Bible. The Bible and science agree that the universe was created, and you and I can talk about whether it was by an explosion or an act of explosive love. Again, the goal is not to argue, but to have conversations and respect people who have differing views than us, all right? And then we said, well, what about the people who say that the earth is billions of years old, it's billions of years old, and, you know, you Christians say it's like 4,000 or 6,000 or 14,000 years old, uh, and we looked at what the Bible actually says, and, you know, sorry to offend if I offend anyone, but the Bible doesn't actually say here's how old the earth is. There's ways that people calculate it. But there's no place that you can turn to in the Bible that says, here's how old the earth is. There is one place. It's called the Book of Second Opinions. It's not in here. It's up here. 
all right? Because there's no place in the Bible that says this is how old the earth is. God didn't write this as a science book. He wrote it as a revelation of what he did for humanity. So we said uh, that we respond to that by saying, I don't know how old it is because we don't. We can speculate. Don't care. Not worth arguing about. Don't know how old it is, but I know God created this earth for humanity, and there are hurting people on this earth that need to know there is a God who loves them. More important than trying to nail down how old does the Bible say the earth is, is trying to nail down how can we help the hurting people in this world. And that's just my opinion, that that should be a priority over trying to nail that down. All right? And then we said, well, speaking of humanity, uh, there's a lot of people, and you guys have probably heard this too, who say, well, if God exists, why is there so much human suffering? Why are people dying? Why are children being abused? Why are, like, uh, families being hurt uh, by the loss of death? Uh, why, are, why is murder on the rise? Why, why are all of these things happening? If God exists, why is there so much human suffering? And we looked at, and, you know, if you weren't here, basically 99.9% of the human suffering is caused by other humans. It's not caused by God. God isn't out there abusing babies. God isn't out there causing people to starve. He's created more than enough food on this planet to feed every family on the planet three times over, but there are some humans who don't want to pay the cost to get it to everyone that needs it. So that means I'm not going to make more money or whatever their reasons are. So here's, we said in response to that that God has done everything necessary to eliminate human suffering. He sent Jesus to die on a cross in our place. And now, here's the question. Will you help relieve the suffering of humanity by getting in a right relationship with God and with others? Because the truth is, and we said this during that particular message, if I'm in a right relationship with God and doing what God says, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart and loving neighbors as myself, I'm not going to allow my neighbor to suffer and I'm not going to cause my neighbor to suffer. I'm not going to do anything to hurt them. I'm not going to rob them. I'm not going to steal from them because they're my neighbor. And if I'm doing what God wants me to do, that's going to help alleviate a lot of the human suffering. And if I do see a neighbor who doesn't know God's suffering, well, then I'm going to help them. What can I do to help them? What can I do to put you in a better place in your life? All right? And then we said, well, what about all these other religions? Aren't all religions the same? Has anyone heard that? Aren't all religions? Yeah, people say that all the time. All religions are the exact same, you know, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, Muslim, all the exact same, which, if you talk to the people who are in those respective religions, is a little bit offensive because none of them are saying they're the exact same. You don't find Muslims saying we're the exact same as Mormons and Christians and Jehovah Witnesses, and you won't find Mormons saying we're the exact same as Muslims and Jewish people. People who are outside will say, yeah, you guys are all the same. But the people in those respective religions would disagree. And we said this after we looked at uh, the differences. There is absolutely nothing on the planet like biblical Christianity. Nothing in the universe exists like biblical Christianity. There's no other. It can't be compared to any other religion because it is different from every other religion. And there is no one like Jesus Christ in the universe. No other religion can even say that, yes, we have, and they don't claim to have someone who rose from the dead and came back and who's not, it doesn't stop there, who's coming back again. And there is no God like the one who gave his life so you could spend an eternity with him. 
Because most religions will say if you follow these six steps or these three steps, then you might achieve the path to getting in a right relationship with God or be lucky enough to come back as an owl or a bird. That's what they say. All right. And then uh, one of the last things we discussed was, um, well, you guys may be different, but here's, and I've heard people say this, and you guys have probably too, here's what I don't like about Christians. All you guys want is my money. All the church wants is my money. And I've heard that a lot. Uh, And we looked at why the church doesn't just want your money. What God really wants is us. God doesn't need your money. God's not down here trying to buy a new car or a new house. But we did say that, yeah, you know, just like every other organization on the planet, we have light bills to pay. You know, we've got to pay for water just like everybody else on the planet. If they gave it to us free, we wouldn't need your money at all. But we also said this, that a true church, a God-honoring, biblical church, wants more than your money. Yes, they need your money because they got to pay bills or whatever, uh, but they're not trying to stockpile it. They want your gifts, your time, and your talents. They want you. And I hope, I hope that most of you have heard that from me more than once, that we want you. We want your gifts. We want your time. We want your talents. We want you to serve. We want you to, whatever gift God has equipped you with, we want you to use that to bless him and to bless the lives of others. Now, if you do go to a church, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. It might be a little high on the shock your mama scale. If you walk into any church and they don't want your gifts, your time, or your talents, and all they want is your money, stop going. Don't go back. Now, I know that may be harsh to some people, but if all they're looking for is your money and they don't want you to serve and you try to go help out, nope, we don't need you. You try to volunteer, nope, we don't need you, don't go. Again, that's just my opinion because if it's a true biblical church, according to what God says, he wants you. He wants you. He wants your gifts and your talents. Okay, let me move off of that because some of you are looking at me with a little bit of an open jaw. All right, so last thing we said was, and we've heard this from people too, um, can God really love someone like me? Has anyone ever heard anyone say that before? Yeah, we've heard, I've heard lots of people who say, you know what, I've made too many mistakes, I've done too many things wrong, I've hurt too many people, I've shoved too many things in my veins, I've broken into too many houses, uh, I, I've hit too many people, done too many crimes, whatever it is, and they said there's no way that God can love someone like me to include this conversation I had with my brother before he passed away that said there's no way, I've done too many things, but there's no way that God can love someone like me, and we had many conversations about it, and the response uh, to that is, and this is straight out of scripture, there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ, not your troubles, not your hardships, not death, not life, not your past, not your present, not your issues, not your struggles, nothing can keep Christ from loving you, and he gave his life to prove it. And we said last week when we talked about this that God, before the earth was formed, he looked down through time and said, you know what, Floyd is going to be a screw-up. He's going to hurt people. He's going to mess things up. He's going to get it right sometimes, but he's going to get it wrong a lot of times. And God still said, you know what, but I love him. And there is nothing that he can do that's going to make me stop loving him. And there is nothing that you can do 
that's going to make God stop loving you. And there is nothing that anyone that you talk to can do that's going to make God stop loving them. Now, that's not to say that because God loves you, you get a ticket to ride. If you've done wrongs, you've got to deal with the consequences, just like in life. But that doesn't stop God from loving you. And all of these are important conversations. They're conversations that some of you have had. If you've got kids going off to college, conversations you definitely want to have because they're going to sit in a classroom with teachers who think differently than them and kids who think differently than them. And it's going to tell them that there's no God. If God exists, why is all their suffering? Don't waste your time at church because all they want is your money. And they're going to tell them all of these things. So you need to equip your children to be able to say, hey, how can I have a conversation with gentleness and respect, right? But the most important conversation is not just where we talk about that stuff, but where you share your story, where you came from, why you are in a relationship with God. That's the most important conversation you can have because it's great to talk about all of the mechanics and, you know, how was the earth created and all that kind of stuff. But what people really want to know is, hey, I don't just want to hear from John about other stuff. I want to get to know John. And as I get to know John, then I can understand, wow, John really does love God. I wonder why. And the more I get to know him, then the more I can see it. All right? And, and, and it's this, because a lot of people get a little bit scared when you talk about sharing your story because you think you have to be a, a polished public speaker, which obviously I am not, uh, or you think that you have to have like this long speech memorized or something, but you don't. It's really simple. It's a matter of saying, here's what God has done for me. One sentence long. Here's what God has done for me. This is what God took me out of. This is, this is how God entered into my life. And then sharing, no, here's what God done for me, and here is where I was when he did it. And it doesn't have to be like, a, you know, I was, I was on death row and, and I had killed, you know, 700 people and God showed up in my life. It could be simply, you know what, I was just going along in life thinking that I had it made and I didn't know that God existed. And I didn't know that's where I was. I was just at a place where I didn't know God existed. Someone shared the gospel with me and it changed my life. And here's the key thing. Here is how it changed my life. Here's what happened as a result of me entering into this relationship with God. Here's what happened. Here's how my life has been transformed. Here's how my life has been changed. Here's what God has been able to do for me. And a lot of these, you can have these conversations really quick, really short. You can, over coffee, many people go out to lunch or coffee with people and say, you know what? Here's, here's what God did for me. Here's where I was when, when I met God and, you know, here's, Here's how he changed my life. That's like a one cup of coffee conversation. And rather than the people, the lots of people in our homes and schools and circles of influence, people we work with that won't walk into a building like this, they will sit down over coffee with you as you share your story. And here's how God changed your life. And if you're like me, if you're like me, and you're long-winded, like I tend to be, although we are, we're wrapping up, I'm watching the time, uh, you can, instead of just over coffee, just go out to dinner. Just go get a meal. And over the meal, instead of the short, here's how God, you can add all the details of here's what I was struggling with, here's what I was going through, here's how I tried to, 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 to claw myself out of this situation, or here's where I was, and you can share more details over dinner. Since I talk a lot, I go for the three, four, or five course dinners. 
But you can just go to, you know, McDonald's, Steak and Shake, whatever, whatever your meal choice is, and just say, here's what's going on in my life. Or, if you're also like me, you can just share a quick Facebook status. You know, just a quick post. Hey, here's what was going on in my life. Here's what God did in my life. And here's how my life changed. And I know some of you are not like fans of going online and sharing personal stuff on Facebook. And some of you are like me and like every 20 minutes you're popping something online. Feel free to share your story with all these people that are checking out what you do online, all right? And it doesn't have to be dramatic, and it doesn't have to be long. Uh, you know, it could be a quick couple of sentences, or if you are into long things, create a blog, share your story. I was surprised to see how many people have blogs out there that have nothing but, here's my testimony, here's what God's doing in my life. Nothing else, that's all they do. Here's what God's doing in my life. And you feel free to share your story. Now, here's what I want to do. Um, if you have a Bible, I want to look at uh, a verse we looked at, I think it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, uh, in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there might be one under the seats to the left or right of you somewhere, and if not, we'll have one of the ushers grab one. But in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, in the first couple of verses, Paul, excuse me, is writing a letter to Timothy, and he's trying to encourage him, hey, you're, you're, you're pastoring a church, you're doing this, that, and the other, and he starts off by telling you, you need to be aware of people who are preaching false things out of the Bible. And he's not talking about people who just, oh, I didn't know. He's talking about people who intentionally try to, like, rearrange God's word for their own meaning. And then what he tells them in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, drop down to verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, for those who are not getting it, this is Paul saying, hey, you know what? Now, he already knows Timothy. They've spent time together. They've traveled together. But as he's encouraging him, he's sharing a short little testimony with him. And he's telling Timothy, hey, here is what God has done for me. God called me, appointed me to work for him. He's telling him, I work for God. Now, Timothy already knows this, but then he goes on and he tells him this. He says, appoint me to a service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. And he's telling Timothy, this is where I was. So here's what God has done for me. He's called me. He's appointed me. He's called me to be an apostle. I am now working for God. But here is where I was when that happened. I was blaspheming. He was, and we talked about this before, he was uh, going into people's homes and pulling them out and bringing them with the intent of having them go on trial and hopefully be killed because they were Christ followers. He was cursing out people. Uh, he was trying to imprison them. His goal was to bring down the church. So he's telling, uh, reminding or telling Timothy, this is where I was. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. That's where Paul is saying, I was when Christ entered my life. And then he says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So his new revelation, how he was transformed, is that he was a recipient of God's amazing grace. 
Now he goes on and says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. It's not like he put himself up on a pedestal. He said, I wasn't worthy of God's grace, but I was a recipient of God's grace. And we shared this when we talked about people who say, well, how can God love someone like me? And you look at the life of Paul, someone who wasn't just what we would say a bad person, but someone who was opposed to the things of God, trying to bring down God's church. And God looked at him and said, him, I want him, hire him. And he says, excuse me, of whom I am the worst, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. He said, I'm a living example that no matter what you do, God can use you and God still loves you. And he says, and I love this, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He ends it with a praise. And now Paul later goes on. That would be, you know, like the equivalent of a quick three to seven minutes. He shares his, his story. Uh, in Acts chapter 22, he shares his story again. If you read through Acts chapter 22, Paul in three to seven minutes is saying, hey, here's what happened in my life. Uh, here's what God did for me. Here's where I was when he did it. And here's how my life has changed. Then in Acts chapter 26, he's standing before King Agrippa. And we don't have kings. But imagine yourself called to an congressional investigative panel. And you're being investigated or, ooh, ooh, even better, IRS. Yeah, don't raise your hand if you've been there. But called before the IRS, and they're standing there, and they're drilling you and whatever, and so you say, well, let's put a pause on that. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Here's where I was. Here's what God has done for me, and here's how my life has changed in front of a congressional panel because that's what he's doing. He's standing in front of the king, and he shares his story with him. He shares his testimony. And then in the book of Galatians, he shares his testimony again with other details. It would be the equivalent of putting up a blog with a lot of details that he didn't share in a three- to seven-minute speech with King Agrippa or um, in Acts 22 when he was talking to a crowd. It's, it's more details of here's where I went. Here's what happened. He shared his story. So here's what I want to do. Before we walk out, I want to look at practical ways for you to share your story. And I'm going to ask you um, to start thinking about some, some of the things that you can share just real quick, three to seven minutes to share your story with people. And here's the reason why. There's no, it, it, it's, this is the number one reason why we're focusing on this, okay? Because all of the other conversations we have are, are, are important, and there's a lot more conversations we could have talked about that are equally important. But this is important because it's your story, it's your story. No one can change your story. No one can take away your story. People can deny it happened, but that doesn't change the fact that your story happened. People can deny history happened. That doesn't change the fact that it happened. It's your story, and it's your way for people to get to know you. So here's, here's, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to ask that... Uh, can I get Gary, can you come up? And uh, Larry, can you come up? I'm going to hand out paper, and I'm going to ask um, 
who is back there? Sue, can you grab the, uh, the bowl or basket of pens off of the table and ask you to hand everyone that wants, you don't have to do this, but everyone that wants a piece of paper uh, down each of the sides. And um, Sue will come by and she will hand out some pens, pencils, and we're going to do a little practical exercise before we close out our, our celebration. All right. And again, you don't have to do this. You can just watch along as everyone else is doing it. And this is going to be easy. Three quick steps. First step is uh, know your story. Know how you got into this relationship with God. So here's what, you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, remember back to whenever you first committed your life to Christ, whenever that was. You're not going to share this with anyone, like, out verbally or hand that in or anything. Uh, it's just getting you familiar with what to say and how to do it. So think about whenever you first committed your life to Christ. Um, think about, you know, maybe uh, if there was a situation that led to it. If not, just think about, you know, I was this age, I was working at this company, you know, I was living in this neighborhood or community, uh, whatever is specific to you, and write down like one, two, maybe three things that are specific to your story, to when you committed your life to Christ, to your spiritual journey. Uh, it may have been, you know, um, I was, well, let me do this. For me, for example, um, I was actually in West Virginia, and I had just read a book uh, that my mother had on her table uh, because, well, she had a lot of Christian books around. And prior to that, we didn't have a good, good relationship uh, because she committed her life to Christ and became a Jesus freak. I mean, like, all out. And I was not. <laughs> so we just didn't mesh up good. Uh, but I went to visit her. She had a book, and I read the book, and I thought, huh, that's pretty amazing. And if it's true, wow, everyone on the planet should be a Christian. Uh, but I was in West Virginia, uh, 1992. Don't need to know how old I was then, just know it was then. But uh, just think of, of what you were doing, who you were visiting, what, what led to uh, that incident. And step two, answer this, why did you give your life to Christ? The reason I did, um, which I can say it's arrogance on my part, so it's like, how can I not commit my life to Christ? I'm, I'm a smart, intelligent person, or so I think. And if this is true, then how can I not do this? But more amazingly, one of the reasons I did it is because in this book, it was a f uh, um, like a story. It wasn't like a, a doc. Um, and I always confuse fiction, nonfiction. It was a not true book. But in it, it was revealing some biblical truth that I had never heard in all my years in church. And that, that is that Jesus was coming back. I had never heard that. And hopefully we, you, you guys have heard that here that Jesus is coming back, that he did not leave us here alone. But I had never heard that in church, so I went back, started looking through the Bible and researching stuff. I was like, wow, God really does love me. He is coming back for me. He does care about what happens in my life. So just write down, or you don't have to write it down, but just think about what made you, now for some people it may be, you know what, uh, and I know some people like this that I grew up with, you know what, I was in prison, or I was standing before a judge, and this was my last and final shot, because, you know, after this, it was, you know, a life sentence or whatever. I know some people that it was, you know what, I was so strung out that I felt like if I didn't get right, I was going to die. I know some people that was like, my marriage was in a shambles, and I had no one else to turn to but God. Or it could be a simple thing like, like I said, first time I entered a church, 
And there was a pastor, and I know a friend of mine who uh, the pastor shared, hey, Jesus loves you, and he died for you. It was literally Jesus loves you, and he died for you. And if you don't know him, you can know him right now. You don't have to say any long prayer. All you have to do is trust that there is a God in heaven. Believe that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place for everything that separated you from him. And say, I'm willing to allow him into my heart. And there was a guy who never had heard that before in his life and committed his life to Christ right then and there. It could be that simple. But know why you did it. His thing was, I never knew that God wanted me to commit my life to him or that uh, God loved me. And the third one, this is extremely important. Know why your life has been transformed. What has God changed in you? Now, here's the thing. And this, you know, some people differ on this. If you enter into a relationship with the creator of the universe who then puts his Holy Spirit in you and you can honestly say your life hasn't changed, then I'm going to say you might not have done it right because you can't have the creator of the universe put his Holy Spirit in you and you say that you have not been transformed. Now, am I still going to make mistakes? Yeah. But now, the mistakes I make, I kind of know it. Whereas before, I did some bad things just because I wanted to and didn't care. And there are little things that God does in your life to transform you and big things that God does in your life to transform you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you guys to write down those things. And while you're writing that, I'm going to play this video. Um, it kind of sums up what we've been talking about. Draws me in. Oh. 
my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Amen. So here's how we're going to end our Sunday morning celebration. As the band comes up, I want to share this final thought with you that we've been sharing again and that we shared at the beginning of the service. So to the friend who says, you know, why won't you share your story with me? And I realize some of us are nervous. Some of us don't like to, you know, talk about ourselves or we're kind of feel like we may mess something up or get it wrong. Uh, God had enough faith in you to put his Holy Spirit in you and to die for you. And that's worth sharing about. Not just that he died for you, but what he did for you. But this is how, um, and again, you can word it however you want. This is how I would respond. I would love to tell you what God has done in my life, why I allowed God into my life, and how my life has been transformed by his amazing love since I put my life into his hands. When can we get together? And if you run into people who want to hear, you know, why do you go to that church? Why do you always praying? Why do you do these things? Don't be afraid to share what God has done in your life. It's basically telling people, yeah, you know what? I was vulnerable at one point. And it's basically becoming vulnerable again and opening yourself to share, here's why I was willing to put everything I believe on the line and put it into the hands of a God I can't see. And there's so much value not in just some pastor, me or any other pastor, standing up and saying, here's what God can do for you if you trust him. I mean, that's great, and, and especially backed up with scripture. But there's so much more value when you are talking to someone you know and say, here is what God did for me when I trusted him. That has such an impact on people's lives. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to close uh, with just a quick song of praise to God for all of us who have put our hands or put our lives into God's hands. Um, definitely we're singing and praising God about. So I'm going to ask you to stand with us and sing one more time. I can leave it in your hands. God, we are so grateful that, that we don't just sing those words like an empty saying that every trouble, every sorrow, every issue, every wrong, everything we've ever done, Lord, the things that we look back on that we think are chasing us, the troubles and issues we can't see ahead of us, all of it, we can leave in the hands of a God who loves us more than we can say. God, and we pray that you would help us to overcome the nervousness, to overcome whatever it is, and allow us to share our stories with those people who are desperately dying to know, can they leave their troubles in your hands? God, allow us to be your witnesses in this community, in our homes, in our schools, to our youth, to the world that they can leave it in your hands. 
God, we thank you for every blessing that you pour out on us, and we pray that as we leave here, that everything we do would be a blessing to you, that you would be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen, amen, amen. Thank you guys for coming. Pray that you have an awesome rest of your Sunday. God bless.